You are listening to the Stokey On Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Stokey, listening on FanRag Sports and today's Knuckleball. I'm joined today with John Heyman, our baseball insider, and we'll be joined with him every Thursday as we go through his notes column that he releases on today's Knuckleball every Thursday morning. And John, I want to ask you, because Thursdays, after you've accumulated all the notes and put them out there, I feel like everybody gets mad at you for whatever their favorite team is doing and and you're just kind of the messenger sometimes and so what's a what's a thursday like for you when everybody says no you're wrong oh well it comes with the territory but i I try not to uh take it personally and uh sometimes if i'm taking it personally i try not to look at it too closely not a not a bad idea and so today your story was on the managers that could be on the hot seat the managers that some people think are on the hot seat and really aren't um but the ones that were on the hot seat, the, the big three names, Terry Collins, Chip Hale, and Robin Ventura, starting with Terry Collins, and this is kind of a trend for all of them in being terms of a, a victim of circumstance, is it something that Terry Collins is doing, or is it just the, the raised expectations from going to the World Series last year? Well, I think the expectations are a huge part of it. Obviously, the injuries have really derailed them. They had a lineup the other day where they only had one player in that lineup who was in their opening day lineup, that was Curtis Granderson. Obviously, they lost David Wright. They lost Duda. Uh, Cabrera is out right now. Uh, you know, obviously, they've lost some outfielders. Cespedes has missed some time. Um, basically, everybody but Walker and Granderson have missed some time. Darno obviously, as well. So injuries have played a big part in the Mets' uh, very mediocre season to date, surprisingly mediocre. They are now 60-60. and 60. That's pretty unexpected at this point. Um, I think Collins overall has done a good job, and by, by that I mean over the term, over the entire uh, time that he's been with the Mets. And obviously they were in the World Series last year, so we know he did a, a good job last year getting them to the World Series. And I know some people uh, took umbrage over me saying he's done a good job overall. I meant over his term, not necessarily this year. He hasn't had his best year this year, I think. Let's face that. That's, that's fair to say. We know that Sandy Alderson was upset when uh, Collins failed to challenge a last play of the game, a decisive play, Jade Bruce being thrown out by J.D. Martinez of the Tigers. Game over at that point. You've got nothing to lose. Uh, Collins um, still feels, if you talk to him, that uh, there was no way that was going to be overturned. And Bruce was clearly out. The only hope, I think, would have been to claim blocking the plate. And, and that was probably a long shot. But as he admits, nothing to lose, probably should have done that. So that's the attention to detail type mistake that Sandy Alderson just doesn't like. And I, I thought that was a bad sign when Alderson was asked about it and then declined comment rather than just say, you know, he made a mistake and let's move on. I think it just told you how upset uh, Alderson was by that mistake. And obviously he has not had this year that he had last year. And I, I do believe, as we, we thought last year, that Collins really needs to get to the playoffs uh, to make it into next year. He does have a contract for next year, which is a, a little different than last year. Um, so that a little bit of a plus, but I, I don't know that that saves him. We all know that in the book that uh, Alderson released, his book, he suggested uh, not last year but the year before that uh, 
he was probably ready to make a change, uh, but ownership wasn't ready to let him make that change. I think the Wilpons have been very supportive of Terry Collins, but uh, they don't make the playoffs. I think he could be in big trouble. Yeah, my biggest, I guess, uh, gripe about Collins is how he's handled younger players, specifically Michael Conforto, and, and how he hasn't played him at times and hides him from lefties. And, and it's one of those tough things where do you – play him against lefties where he can struggle but it helps his development process or do you play a right-handed guy so I guess moving forward I wonder how much that can come into play and how much how he handles young players because offensively I think the Mets are going to have to get younger here in the coming years which you know almost makes this potentially a transition point if they miss the playoffs this year Cespedes can opt out and leave they're not the favorites in the National League anymore, and if you bring somebody new in, um, obviously you've got a little bit of a transition. So how great do you think the, the chances of, if they miss the playoffs, that this becomes kind of a transition into slightly getting younger offensively and a new manager? Well, everybody wants to get younger, and they certainly want uh, Conforto to live up to his potential, but uh, this is a big market. These are the big boys. If you're 4 for 40 or whatever Conforto was against lefties at one point, uh, you're probably going to be on the bench. And some of that is dictated from above. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily uh, only the Mets. A lot of teams have the front office uh, discuss things with the manager beforehand. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these decisions are suggested, at least from above, from Alderson in the front office. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would necessarily tie that to, to uh to Collins, but uh, there was one or two times when I thought that uh, he should have left Conforto, and I think he pinch it with the Matt Reynolds one time. It seemed like not the thing to do, but uh, Conforto has struggled, and I, and I don't believe it's because he's at sporadic playing time. He has been given, I think, fairly ample opportunity. In terms of the Mets and transition, I, I don't think they're going to look at it that way because they've got a couple more years now with Matt Harvey uh, before he's a free agent. I think we all expect him to leave. And you've got uh, you've got Degrom, and you've got Syndergaard, and uh, and Matt. So you have those four great young pitchers. I think you're going to be going for it uh, until you lose those pitchers to free agency or whatever. So I don't think the Mets are going to look at it that way, and I wouldn't quite look at it like that. You know, it's possible they take a step back, but if they lose Cespedes, they're going to have to figure out another way to make up that offense. And I think they have an advantage going into next year in terms of the pitching because there's no good pitching on the market. Teams that have bad pitching will continue to have bad pitching, very likely. So uh, they still should have a good team for next year, even if they had a, end up with having a bad year this year. So how important do you think Cespedes is to that future success, at least for the the immediate future? Well, they need offense. I mean, they've hit about 205 with the runners in scoring position. That's historically bad. That That's so bad that that's like uh, – 1968 bad. There was a team in 1968 that had about the same record of 205. It's hard to do. The second worst is the Phillies at 229. Uh, to be that bad with runners in scoring position, you're going to need to uh, pound the ball and hit some home runs. And uh, they've hit a fair number of home runs this year. Uh, not enough, obviously. They've had some uh, offensive issues uh, even beyond the runners in scoring position. They haven't been able to manufacture runs, which is why they brought in uh, Reyes. Uh, you know, Cespedes is their best offensive player. Uh, certainly, if a team with a mediocre or worse offense loses their best player uh, for any length of time, that hurts them and that has hurt them. And uh, I, they certainly would like uh, Cespedes to remain with the team, but he has that uh, option to opt out. And um, 
you know, I, I, I think early on it was a certainty that he would opt out at this point with the injury, with the fact that he's given up center field. He's now a corner outfielder. Uh, you know, I don't think it's 100% that he will opt out, particularly since he will get the qualifying offer this year. He didn't have the qualifying offer last year, and in some sense he may have been disappointed by the market that he did see, and uh, I think some teams underestimated him. I, I, you know, uh, Hayward got a much better deal. Uh, Upton got a bigger deal. Uh, Gordon uh, got close to the same deal, maybe not quite as good, but uh, he has outperformed all three of those players by by quite a bit. So, you know, he may like the challenge of free agency. I still think it's more likely than not he takes free agency, but uh, with the injury, with the giving up center field, I don't think it's a certainty anymore. Yeah, I think he probably, I would say that he has to test free agency just because of how down the offensive side is going to be for, for next year. Um, but I wonder how much he's actually changed the perception of him. I mean, teams were scared to give him a big deal last year. Has he done enough to change that perception to get a, a big four-, five-, six-year deal this time around? Um, you know, I, I think, as you said, the market is not great. There is Encarnacion. You've got Bautista. Of course, he's coming off injury. Uh, there's going to be a few other guys who are coming off a decent year as uh, potentially a, a Turner. Uh, there are some potentially good free agents, but in this market, uh, I think he's going to play very well. I think the perception is still going to be about the same. Uh, you know, he had the injury, uh, so he, you know, he's not a guy who, who never has injury. And then there was some buzz about whether he did it playing golf, and he plays golf every day. To me, I don't believe that you can injure your quad playing golf. Uh, he feels that the golf helps his swing. I agree with him. But I don't think he's changed the perception of him. I, I, I think it's generally fine, but I, I think that one of the reasons Upton got a bigger deal was Upton is considered a, a little more of a clubhouse plus maybe, uh, not a guy who plays golf every day, something like that. I don't know. Uh, I think Detroit probably regrets that, though, because they had Cespedes, they liked Cespedes, they considered Cespedes, and I think they just took the wrong route there in going for Upton. It was a good player, but not the threat that Cespedes is. Yeah, looking to the Diamondbacks now and Chip Hale, last year he was a guy that I think soared up the manager rankings in terms of look at what he did with the Diamondbacks and, and the big jump that they made in his first year with teams and players pointing out how hard the Diamondbacks played and all that stuff. This year you're not seeing that. They are 20 games under 500, obviously not living up to the extremely high expectations after the big offseason. I tend to think that has more to do with the roster construction than I do with Chip Hale doing something differently. Um, Dave Stewart's option is up. Tony La Russa, I think he said that he doesn't even know what his contract is, but I believe it's three years. So when you look at the the three heads there, Hale, La Russa, and Stewart, I guess where does the season fall? Who, who's to Who's to blame here? Well, it's obviously not my call. Uh, somebody with the Diamondbacks, namely Ken Kendrick and, and Derek Hall, will make that call, and I do believe they will make some change, whether that's a wholesale change, whether it's one person, whether it's the front office, whether it's the manager. I, I just don't see them uh, sticking at status quo. They're all very, very disappointed uh, with the season. They expected to do much better. Uh, that's the issue with the expectations. Uh, no question about that. I do think the injuries played a major factor. This is a small revenue team. Uh, it's a team with not the depth of some other teams. 
and they couldn't really absorb those injuries and underperformance, frankly. It's not just the injuries. Obviously, Pollock injury uh, hurt them very badly. Uh, and with him out and then Enciarte uh, was traded in that uh, ill-fated uh, Shelby Miller trade, uh, their outfield defense was poor. It had been very good, went from good to poor, and then Peralta basically missed the entire year with a wrist issue. So they lost their entire starting outfield. They just couldn't absorb that. And then Miller, that trade has turned out to be a disaster, as we all know. He's got two years to go. They may hope that they can recover something, but, uh, you know, he gave up your number one, the number one overall pick in Dansby Swanson, uh, plus Inciarte, plus Blair, a pitching prospect. Uh, that was a high price to pay, and they understood that. They just had that confidence that Miller could do it. Now, Miller had some issues with his uh, delivery. Something went awry. I think some people felt that he felt the pressure. He's kind of a pleaser is what I'm told, and he, he, he overdid it in terms of trying to please everybody and meet the expectations of that big trade. So uh, a lot went wrong. That trade was bad. Uh, the injuries uh, killed them. Uh, and, but they just have not played, even with all that, they have not played uh, that well. I mean, they, they have guys who performed uh, individually. Jake Lamb has done a great job. Segura has been a nice uh, acquisition. Uh, Ziegler, before he got traded, uh, had a very good year. The catchers uh, did better than expected, uh, probably. Um, so they've had some good individual seasons, but as a team, they have not performed. Now, Chip Hale did a great job last year. I thought... He got the most out of them when they played about 500 ball. Uh, just incredible effort. I think everybody around the league recognized that, and now he's had one bad season. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily blame Chip Hale. I think he's a good manager. Uh, he's not having a great year. The team's having an awful year. Um, and normally the front office is given more than two years to uh, develop their team and to build their roster. Now, obviously, they've made some mistakes. I talked to Dave Stewart for the column, and he defended uh, how he's done. He said, uh, when I said to him that he had one good year, one bad one, he took exception to that, saying that he, he feels he's had two good years. And then he said that, you know, he can't, uh, he can't be the one to manage or hit or certainly, uh, certainly hit or pitch. And, uh, you know, uh, two years doesn't seem like a long time uh, for the front office. They've certainly come under a lot of criticism for the Miller trade and other things. Uh, it seems like everybody is kind of under the gun right now, whether that be Tony La Russa, a chief base, baseball officer, and along with uh, uh, Stewart and Dijon Watson at the top of the front office hierarchy and Chip Hale. Uh, they've been a team that's uh, not been afraid of turnover. They've not been afraid of change. So I don't think anybody should be surprised if they do make at least one major change. That was my big concern with Hale coming into the year is that last year – when there aren't expectations, people don't pay attention to how you use the bullpen, who bats where, when you make a change, and stuff like that. And now this year when there's expectations, that's when people start to pay attention. So, you know, now people look and say, oh, you waited two batters too long to make this change, or why is this player still batting here? And um, I know he does some more traditional things with uh, the people that he bats in the number two spot. I know that um, – more, more and more teams are batting their best hitter there. Um, they don't usually do that. Um, so he's a there's there's room for criticism there. Um, I think he's kind of in a lose lose situation now because in a normal circumstance, if he has job security, he can take a Jake Barrett in the bullpen and 
And if he gets in a jam late in a game, you can say, hey, these are your growing pains. You have to go learn how to pitch out of this. If they're winning, they can take them out and try to win the game. But for where they're at, they should be trying to develop those players. I don't know that he has the – I don't know that he can do that under these circumstances with his job pretty much on the line. And the Pollock injury crushed him. They had to move Chris Owings to center field. And when Nick Ahmed struggled offensively, you couldn't move Chris Owings there. And the depth is what really took a hit. Um, so it's kind of just one thing after another. Um, Zach Granke obviously hasn't panned out. Ruby De La Rosa has been hurt, so you miss a, a piece in the rotation there. When it comes to Dave Stewart, you have the, the Segura trade that has worked out. He's made some moves that, that look good. Obviously, he's made some that haven't, but every GM has done that. I wonder if it's it's how he comes off. And some of the quotes that he says today when he says, I don't hit, I don't pitch, and I don't manage, it's kind of throwing – it comes off as he's throwing guys under the bus. And I feel like that's part of the reason why there is so much criticism thrown at Dave Stewart is because of how he comes off, not necessarily just the moves that he makes. Well, you know, he is more honest than most general managers. Not that they're dishonest, but uh, I would say he's more forthcoming, more candid. He gives his what he's actually feeling, which we appreciate in the media, but uh, that can be uh, perceived uh, as a negative uh, if, he, if you're reading between the lines and thinking, well, he, I don't manage means maybe I can manage better than Chappelle. He didn't really say that. It depends how you read that, I guess. But uh, from my perspective, uh, He's forthcoming, and I appreciate that, so I'm not going to sit here and knock him for that because uh, he does help us out in the media uh, by being uh, so forthcoming, which I think is a plus for, for the fans and for the media. Um, in terms of uh, the team, I, I think Hale was behind the eight ball right from the start. They, they were really knocked out of the race almost immediately. Uh, the injury to Pollock was a killer, as we've mentioned, and it wasn't just that. It was the slow starts. Miller, who's really never recovered and still has an ERA over seven and is in the minors at this point, uh, it was a disaster from the beginning. Uh, Granke uh, started slow, wasn't winning at home, started to perform, and then he got hurt uh, when he was starting to pitch up to his ability. And that's happened with a couple of guys. De La Rosa was starting to pitch well, and then he got hurt. So it's the injuries. It's the timing of the injuries. Uh, it's the whole thing. It's just been a very, very disappointing season, and really, you could almost say disastrous season for them. How far do you think they are away from turning it around um, next year? Because if you look at their roster, when healthy, I mean, Jake Lamb, the way that he's emerged this year, uh, Peralta is a good player if he's healthy. You get A.J. Pollock back. I think people. I think this year was going to be the year, if Pollock was healthy, that he really broke into that national scene where people understood – how good he was, Goldschmidt, uh, Segura, Granke. I mean, there are a lot of pieces here. How far do you think they are from, you know, being closer to what they thought they were going to be this year? You know, they shouldn't be that far away. That is one big plus, and I, I think that's – I'm glad that you pointed that out. That is very fair to mention. If you have Pollock, who I, I think is an absolute star, and you have a healthy Granke – and you have De La Rosa back. Robbie Ray looks like he's coming, and that was a, a good pickup that they made along with De La Rosa. Um, I'm not sure what happened uh, to Corbin this year. He didn't have a very good year either, but he's got talent. He's done it before. You have that rotation with Granke, and if Miller is anything like what he was last year with Atlanta, and you've got Corbin and Ray and De La Rosa, which is what they envision. Uh, that's actually pretty good. And you've got Archie Bradley as well, and uh, you have Shipley. You've got some pieces there. 
And um, I just think the Pollock injury killed them a lot more than they expected or anybody else expected. Uh, they still have some questions. I, I still wonder who exactly is their shortstop. Um, you know, I think Segura's answered second. I think Lamb has answered third. Obviously, they got Goldie at first, and you've got Pollock. And if you get Peralta back, you're pretty good there. I think with Pollock playing center, you can live with the defense of Tomas. I mean, you're there every day. You see it. Maybe you don't think so, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, Pat Burrell is a left fielder for two world championship teams. You can have a left fielder who's basically an offensive player, I think, if you have good defense in center and right. And uh, that was the issue this year. They went from one of the best uh, defensive outfields to probably the worst defensive outfield in, in baseball. So you combine the worst defensive outfield with pitching that was terrible this year thanks to the injury and underperformance, and that's why they ended up where they are. But in terms of the talent level on their roster, if healthy, I think they have an above-average team. So, uh, you know, they are not far away at all. With Tomas, he's been kind of a a roller coaster here in Arizona, and especially this year, the way he started, it wasn't that long ago that when Peralta was getting ready to come off the DL, it was, is Tomas going to get optioned down to the minors, or is the front office – too proud to do that because of how much they paid him. Well, it turns out that he's starting to hit and starting to show, hey, maybe this is this is why they paid him. And if you can hit 30 home runs, then you know teams will live with your defense, especially if you have a Pollock out there um, that can kind of hide that. So the way that Tomas is hitting, if he can keep that up and, and keep working on his approach and his discipline, I think that's been the most frustrating part. And, and Chip Hale has said as much that, one at bat, he puts together a great at bat. He's laying off pitches and waits for his pitch, and the next he swings at a curveball in the dirt on the first pitch and, and grounds out to third. So that's the frustrating part. Um, he struggled a lot last year, his first year in the country, and that's a transition that I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult that actually is. So if you get him back, if you get some pieces in the bullpen, I think that they can be the team that they thought were, they were going to be in. I can appreciate Dave Stewart's aggression, and I, I like to see that. I like to see a general manager go for it, um, whether the moves were right or wrong, just the pure aggression and saying, hey, we're going to do this, and, and we want to win, especially in a market like Arizona. That's why I was disappointed to see the injuries that this team never had a chance, and they were going to get killed no matter what. And so I'm rooting for them to get healthy just so they can actually say, hey, this is what we built, and this is what we thought it was going to be, and then find out if it, if it was right or wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, they were very unlucky this year. Uh, the team at full strength, they could be a lot better. I'm not sure that all the pieces in terms of the front office, the management, the manager, all that are going to uh, be around to see it. We will find out uh, soon enough. Um, the options uh, are to be picked up, uh, at least by the contract, at the end of the, this month in terms of uh, Stewart and his top lieutenant, uh, Dijon Watson, now, they don't have to be picked up this month. They can wait into, into, into next month if they're not sure. But if that's the case, uh, it sends a, kind of a bad signal. Uh, in terms of Hale, there have been rumors going back as far as June that uh, there was a consideration to make a change. Um, you know, I think it's unfortunate to, to be a manager for two years and have a one really good year and one not-so-great year and uh, maybe lose your job. But, uh, you know, it does appear that uh, he's in uh, – on the hot seat as well as several others. So it's going to be interesting to see whether any of these guys who are all good guys, all good baseball people, whether they're going to be around uh, to see what happens with all these players that they have acquired and put together. Now the Diamondbacks 
at least went for it. The problem that I have with the White Sox, and number three on your list is Robin Ventura, is the White Sox for, for so long, it seems like they've been stuck in the middle trying, they can't decide if they want to rebuild or if they're going to go go for it. So they've been stuck in the middle with Robin Ventura. Being from Chicago originally, I have my Twitter timeline is full of people complaining about Ventura, saying that we're sick of mediocrity. So what's what's the message there if the White Sox keep them and and is the message if they get rid of them that okay we're going to choose one or the other or is it doesn't really have an effect on the roster yeah I mean they need to do something whether that be a roster change or manager and I, you know roster change is probably the thing that will have the biggest impact of anything you know I'm not sure how great an impact the change of manager would have now, in Robin's case, he had one very good year, and they have not been that good since. They've had some expectations and really haven't lived up to those expectations. Obviously, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of that team, loves Robin, a very loyal uh, guy. Uh, they don't like to ever let go anybody who's, who they like and has been in their group. Um, I think at this point, it would be somewhat of a surprise if they brought Robin back after four years like this, even with the White Sox. Now, they haven't said anything. Uh, they said whatever is going to be done, it will be done amicably. That doesn't sound uh, that positive, but other than that, uh, it will be done amicably, and uh, that's very nice, but that uh, doesn't sound uh, like he's likely to stay. And I think at this point it would be understandable. I never like to advocate for anybody losing their job, but uh, after four so-so to subpar years, I, I think that would not surprise anybody. I do think that they need to work on the roster some, somewhat. I, I have been surprised at how the roster has not worked uh, for whatever reason. They have great starting pitching, which not many teams have, and uh, it's hard to break that up. But I, I do think that they probably need to uh, look to sit, trade sale and uh, perhaps Quintana really shake things up. Um, I, I would say for sale they could get some – huge pieces back and really try to remake that roster, make it younger. Uh, one of their issues has been that they haven't had a very productive farm system. Obviously, Sale was a great pick, and uh, they've had some others. Quintana was a nice pickup. Uh, they got him uh, for almost nothing, uh, so they did a good job there. But uh, they don't have a big influx of talent coming. They've got uh, Anderson, the shortstop, who looks like he's got potential, but uh, – not a lot else. So I, I would advocate in this case uh, that they really look hard at making a trade or two to really remake the roster, and I was expecting they would do that uh, at the deadline. And they did talk to teams, but it didn't sound like they were particularly close with any team. Uh, so uh, I, maybe in the off season, when every team is, uh, considers themselves a contender, a team hopeful for the World Series, uh, maybe they will get the right offer uh, for Chris Sale that they, they want. And they should get a huge offer. It, it came out, uh, we had the story that they were looking for five big-time young players or prospects back for sale. And that, that really is understandable, and maybe there aren't many teams willing to do that or any teams, but he's a guy with a very, very team-friendly contract and probably the best pitcher in the American League over the last five years. Yeah, when you get to that level and – he, I wouldn't say that he's trout level, but when you get to that level, it's like the only package that makes sense doesn't make sense for the other team because you're giving up too much for that one player. But if you're the White Sox, you, you have to hold that standard because you know, you're just fine holding him if you have to. So if 
if the White Sox make a move, um, one name in the dugout is Rick Renteria, the former Cubs manager. Um, he's a guy that you'd like to see get another chance since how that kind of fell out with the, the Cubs and, and Madden falling into their lap. Renteria on the south side with the Cubs being what they are and then the north side, I think that would make for uh, at least some entertainment or get a spark back in whatever rivalry that is. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Obviously, it's the Cubs' time this year, and maybe that will continue because they have a great young team. It's going to be hard for the White Sox to compete in terms of attendance and marketing and all that with the Cubs, with all those great players on the north side and uh, the youth of those players, I mean, with Bryant and Rizzo and uh, Russell and uh, all the others, and you've got Schwarber coming back next year, and they have a solid rotation. Uh, you know, I think it might be best for the White Sox, and I think they do, is to con- just uh, consider how to make themselves better and not worry so much about the Cubs. The Cubs are going to be good for, it looks like, several years to come. You know, the White Sox really need to take care of their own business, and I think that's what they will do. One of the names that wasn't on the list that I'm not really surprised by, but I think there is a case to be made, and I think a lot of the fans in that market are, are calling for his head, is Mike Matheny with the St. Louis Cardinals. He reminds me a lot of Mike Sosha, who did make your list, but you don't believe that a change is going to happen there. At least uh, their GM seems seems to be supportive there. Um, so with Matheny in St. Louis, there are people that complain about how he handles the bullpen, that he is too old school and doesn't adapt. But St. Louis doesn't seem like the place to really shake things up, especially when they're still, if it wasn't for the Cubs, you know, the Cardinals are having another good year. So what what's the status of Matheny? Is there any is that even being talked about? Is there any kind of chance that that he goes, or is that just Cardinal fans overreacting because when the Cubs are this good, they have to complain about something? Yeah, I think that's the latter. I mean, uh, I maybe don't look at the Twitter sphere as closely as you do. I maybe don't get those uh, kind of tweets that you you might get about that uh, team. Um, you know, I do think Matheny does like the bunt, and that certainly is a, a very controversial uh, play these days, and, and I get that. I do think there are some managers that do tend to uh, bunt uh, a little bit uh, too often. <laughs> it's probably not the right play at this point. We've got, we've got the numbers on that, and it's probably not a great uh, play uh, for the most part. There are some circumstances where it works. Uh, Mike Matheny is extremely well-respected throughout the league. He's respected in the Cardinals. Uh, I have no inkling that his, his job is in any sort of jeopardy uh, whatsoever. Uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they're plotting something behind the scenes. I really doubt it. I, I think this is just a, a Twitter thing, and uh, fans that are disgruntled by the fact the team isn't uh, alone in first place like usual uh, and that's about it. I think Matheny, if he were fired, he'd probably have five job offers within a week. So uh, I don't see anything like that coming down. As you mentioned, uh, Mike Socha, I determined, is safe. Uh, I do think that there are more people around the league that do think he's a little bit too old school and has been there maybe a little bit too long. Uh, now, Billy Epler is the new GM. Uh, he told me that uh, uh, he's happy with Socha, and there's no reason to suspect that Socha is in any kind of jeopardy. I take him at his word. And the same was said for Brad Ausmus, 
Al Avila, the general manager of the Tigers, said that he is safe as well. So uh, we did learn two things uh, this week in terms of which managers actually are safe, and uh, that would be Sosha and Osmus. I still put them on the list because, uh, you know, I, I have seen those tweets that, uh, you know, those guys uh, could be under the gun, and uh, it turns out that uh, their bosses do not agree. Uh, with Matheny, I didn't even bother to check because I don't believe there's any chance of that. Yeah, with Osmus, it's good to see that the front office was patient there. I know, especially in his first two years, it was, you know, people calling for his head, saying it's time to get rid of him, but letting them develop. And I think that Detroit's probably been better than people thought they were going to be this year and um, still in the thick of things in the American League. With Matheny, the one thing that I think is lost or getting lost is the presence in a clubhouse and handling personalities and and stuff outside of the the stat sheet of what the numbers say and I, I i don't think i'm too strong on either side of the old school new school debate i think i'm kind of in the middle but obviously that he's respected he's respected there in st louis and i think i think that holds a strong value i think that there are a lot of you know whether it's how he handles a pitching staff or a bullpen and, and stuff like that there's certainly cases to be made that there are issues there but one thing getting lost in baseball um, is the fact that these are still people and you can't play it on a stat sheet 100% of the time. Right, absolutely right. Interpersonal relationships uh, matter. Leadership matters. Um, clubhouse dynamic still matters. You can't play the game on a computer. I mean, we all thought Houston, uh, they had it all figured out with the computer. Well, you know what? They've kind of taken a big step backward this year. Uh, maybe they needed some leadership in that clubhouse in terms of the players. I do think they have a very fine manager in A.J. Hinch. But, um, you know, I, I think that the, the Cardinals' way is not to uh, abandon somebody uh, over one or two mistakes. And I don't know if they even see them as mistakes uh, in terms of uh, on-field managerial moves. I think that Matheny, from what I gather, is extremely well-respected in the organization and it's just not their way anyway, even if he wasn't. So I, I, I think this is just a, a thing for uh, people to tweet back and forth to each other about, and that's about the end of that. And with the Astros, that's one thing I want to touch on. And Bob Nightingale pointed or wrote today that two vetoes, two trade vetoes have kind of come back to, to really hurt the Astros, one being when the Astros had a deal for Cole Hamels, but he vetoed that trade before being traded to Texas the other being Lucroy vetoing the trade to Cleveland and then landing in Texas. Texas um, obviously leading the AL West. And when you look at the Astros and they were going to do things differently, and Jeff Lunau has obviously built up a ton of talent there, but now it's how do you turn that talent into a consistent winner? Um, you wrote today that a, a scout has pointed out that they need veteran something in that clubhouse. And uh, Pat Neshek was quoted in Nightingale's story saying it's tough to, to trade a guy like Scott Feldman and in a short period of time we have nine rookies in the clubhouse and that's not easy to, to necessarily deal with so do you think the Astros have they at least learned something is this a learning process um, are they maybe not as, as close as we thought they were um, you know, in terms of talent, uh, they're very good. Uh, in terms of talent, they've probably underperformed this year. Um, certainly, Luno's ways uh, turned them from terrible to 
a playoff team last year and at least an average team. Maybe they'll be better than average this year. The season's not over, but um, I do think that they've missed the boat on a couple things, including that clubhouse leadership. I, I love Feldman. I don't think he was the guy they needed in that clubhouse right now. He wanted a trade. You know, He wanted to be gone, and they accommodated him by making a trade. Uh, that wasn't the time for him to be a leader. He, he probably needed to get to a different team. He's now on a different team, so he's happy. I don't think he was going to be the leader of the team, uh, but I, I do think Nishek does make a point. In general, uh, they have a very, very young team, and the key guys on their team are very, very young. And it would be good to have a guy who is an everyday player and secure as an everyday player who, who could be the leader of that team. I mean, they have Jason Castro, but he hasn't performed that well. Um, you know, you've got uh, Valbuena has been around a while, but his status has been a little iffy at times. I mean, he's basically been, for the most part, an everyday player, but we'll see when they call Gurriel up what they do with everybody. Um, but their, their key players are all very young. Altuve's uh, the oldest of the, that group of Correa, Altuve, and Springer, all in their 20s. And uh, I'm not sure any of them is ready to uh, take that leadership mantle. Uh, all great players, Altuve having a miraculous season individually, but I do think there is a leadership void on that team. Uh, in terms of guys turning down deals, that happens all the time. That's not really a, a great excuse. I mean, Luke Roy, uh, he turned down a deal with Cleveland, and he went to Texas. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think that's a good excuse for Houston if they're using it. I don't know. I didn't happen to see that article, but... Uh, you know, they couldn't beat Texas even before they had Lucroy. Texas killed them throughout the first half of the year. Uh, there was no Lucroy on that team, and they really had nothing to do with Lucroy turning down Cleveland and then deciding to go to Texas. I mean, there are certain cities that have a built-in advantage that uh, players have a better feeling about, and there may be something to uh, some of the old-school players uh, preferring uh, to go to a regular team rather than a computer-driven team. I don't know. I'm not sure why Hamels turned that down. He may not lo love Houston. It is awfully hot in Houston in the summer. I don't know. He he's from San Diego, perfect weather. Uh, you know, Philly, uh, not as hot as Houston. He's used to it there. And, uh, you know, uh, that happens when guys turn it down. Um, so they have made some trades, and those trades haven't been that great. I think that's their bigger problem. Uh, rather than worrying about whether Lucroy wants to be in Cleveland or Texas, uh, they made a trade uh, with Philly for Giles and uh, gave up Velasquez, who's very talented, has some injury questions, and a bunch of other guys. And uh, Giles just has not proven to be worth it at this point. He's a reliever with a limited track record, and that was a risky trade. And then they traded for Carlos Gomez, and he has been disastrous uh, and obviously has been DFA'd, and we'll see where he winds up. But... Uh, that did not work out. They gave up quite a bit for uh, Carlos Gomez. Uh, you know, I guess you could talk about uh, trades not working out uh, for them. It was that the, the Mets decided not to take Gomez uh, right before they acqu then acquired Gomez. It would have been better for them had the Mets uh, traded for Gomez and then not picked up Cespedes. And uh, that way they wouldn't have had Gomez and traded Hayter and uh, all the other player, young players that they trade for him. So I, I think they've made some bad trades. I think that's more of an issue than worrying about who wants to be in Houston or doesn't want to be in Houston. Yeah, and as good as they've drafted, I mean, they let J.D. Martinez go for nothing. Uh, Jonathan Villar is really breaking out with Milwaukee. Um, Brett Phillips was in that deal to, uh, to Milwaukee. So I think that 
they have to – I think Jeff Lunell and, and the Astros have to learn from this and say, okay, we know that we can draft talent and bring talent in. Somehow they have to make an adjustment because I think it's, you know, it's a black eye that Andrew Miller turns down more money with them to sign with the Yankees, even though it is the Yankees. Um, Ryan Vogelsong a couple of years ago was ready to sign there and then visited and – the weird story came out that something went wrong there, and he said, you know, I didn't I didn't feel comfortable there. I didn't trust it or whatever it was. He doesn't sign there. Um, I know that in the past they got John Singleton to agree to the very team-friendly deal that I know upset a lot of the, at least like the Players Association there. That wasn't the only one that they've offered. I believe Jared Kozart got an offer like that. Matt Duffy uh, got an offer like that, I believe. So I think a lot of those things have kind of rubbed – players the wrong way where somehow they have to get past that to to get an everyday guy with a good solid reputation that can come in and and show these guys they have Altuve he's made a huge impact on Carlos Correa Um, Correa has said that multiple times but they really need somebody else um, to kind of to bridge that gap that's an everyday guy just like you said yeah, they need veteran leadership, and um, you know they obviously hit some home runs in the draft. Uh, Correa was uh, turned out to be a brilliant selection, and then uh, by taking him and saving some money because Buxton was going to cost more money, uh, they were able to get Lance McCullers in that same draft, and uh, he's been very good as well. Uh, and obviously Springer was a great draft, but let's not forget uh, they have they finished so poorly that they had so much more money to spend in the draft than anybody else for a few years. It was a major major advantage. Uh, they they while well, they've drafted it pretty well. I mean, they haven't been perfect. Obviously, I think um, you know the the pitcher from San Diego, the high school pitcher, uh, his name's eluding me. Went to Cleveland. Uh, you know, pretty uh, that was bad luck that uh, he ended up with an arm issue and they didn't end up signing him. That uh, didn't work out. But they did draft Mark Appel number one overall, and uh, he has not worked out. Obviously, his point they gave up and traded him to Philly. He was basically the last guy in that deal uh, for Velasquez and uh, uh, Aiken. Is that the name of the pitcher? Yeah, Brady Aiken. So, so um, you know, uh, it's, they haven't been perfect in the draft. They built their team by being terrible for three years, uh, getting good draft picks, and uh, by and large, doing pretty well with them. Uh, you know, that one year, obviously, they made real hay. Uh, with the Correa and the McCullers, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think they've been perfect on the draft. So, you know, they don't have a perfect team. I think they were probably overrated a little bit uh, to start the year. Not that my predictions are perfect. I did not have them as a playoff team uh, this year. You know, uh, Keuchel had that unbelievable season last year, has not been able to duplicate that. Uh, we'll see if he can uh, bounce back. But uh, they have a, a very young team. Uh, they have uh, uh, young starters. Um who maybe don't have the innings or aren't the Hamels type that they craved, uh, and you know they don't they they have a good team, but I don't think they have a, a great team or even a playoff team. Switching gears and going to the Yankees, who have now you have young players of their own that are certainly worth talking about and have obviously made a great first impression. You made some uh, people upset today by saying that Aaron. Um, Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez in a trade for Chris Sale would make sense if you're the Yankees. Um, is that, I mean, I, I guess I don't understand why people would be upset about that. You're trading too young, and even if they are very good, you're getting the best pitcher in the American League. If I guess expand your thoughts on, on that from what you said today. 
Well, it's easy for me to say. It's not uh, my <laughs> neck on the line. So, you know, not too many people trade those kind of prospects, uh, certainly two at once. But uh, in terms of the actual calculation of it, uh, Chris Sale uh, has about $40 million to go uh, for three more years. Uh, if he were a free agent, and we, we know that Granke got over $200 million, and so did Bryce, and he's better than either of them, at least in terms of age and performance, you combine it all, he'd get more. He'd probably get $240 million. So uh, they'd be getting a $240 million player for $40 million. Uh, that, uh, you know, you don't have this number of years that you, you have with the $240 million contract, but in a sense that could be looked at as a $200 million savings. There aren't any prospects in my mind that are worth $100 million. I don't care what kind of a great first week they had in Major League Baseball. I mean, I know Yankee fans are excited about the uh, – uh, new kids, and maybe they will all turn out to be stars, but, uh, you know, it's been less than a week. Uh, you know, Judge has been really good. Uh, Sanchez has been excellent. Uh, Sanchez is a catcher who can hit home runs, so he definitely has big value. And, uh, you know, to get a trade sale, you're going to have to give up some big pieces. There's no question about that. That happens to be a player that they're very interested in. in Chicago, they don't have a great catcher. Uh, going forward, the Yankees could make a trade with them. They have talked about uh, Sanchez, at least from the White Sox perspective. Uh, not that the Yankees offered him up, but uh, you know, I think uh, there was discussion about these types of players. And uh, you know, I, are prospects worth 100 million each? Uh, Moncada got 30 million plus the 30 million dollar penalty. The Red Sox have to pay. They paid 60 million. People were like, "Wow, how could you pay 60 million for a prospect? That's a lot of money for prospect." <clears throat> but even if you say a top prospect is worth $60 million, well, that's two top prospects. So that's a, it's a calculation. Those two top prospects, uh, Sanchez and Judge, maybe they're worth $60 million each. But are they worth as much as Sale, who's uh, $200 million underpaid? By my calculation, the pitcher who's not, not had any injuries, uh, you're talking about uh, the way the pitching market has gone. Someone may say, oh, a pitcher, they could get hurt. But... Uh, someone paid Ian Kennedy $70 million uh, uh, last winter. And, uh, you know, you're if a free agent pitcher, you're going to get big, big bucks because every team needs pitching, and the Yankees are one of those teams. I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think it's unreasonable uh, to expect that you'd have to include those two players if you're going to get Chris Sale. Not that it's going to happen. We will see. It's not my, they're not my prospects. Uh, I don't know that the Yankees would do it. I could certainly, when the Yankees had Derek Jeter and he was hitting 340 every year in the minor leagues, you could say, okay, that one is can't miss. But Aaron Judge has been hitting in the mid-200s. Now maybe he is developing before our eyes. Maybe he was waiting to get to the big leagues to be great. Uh, maybe he will be a star, but I, I wouldn't count on it. A prospect is just that, and we will see. We're one week in or less than that. If they make the deal and it doesn't work, I don't think we'll let you go. So, yeah, your head's not on the chopping block. For, oh, okay, for thank fake, you. Uh, <laughs> no one's given me a GM job either, so uh, I'm not too worried. I could say what I want. Um, well, let's play GM for the Yankees. Obviously, the, the the week of the trade deadline that they had, I think, sped their their process up. Um, it was just huge for them and what, the, what they were able to acquire. Looking ahead, I think – if if they were having discussions about whether they should sell or not, I think the biggest pitch you can make is, look, if we sell these guys now, we get young players. And looking at that 2017-2018 free agent class, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Jose Fernandez, and that's just the start of it, 
looking ahead, I mean, is that their their window now where they say, okay, that's what we're shooting for and that's when we're going to jump back in the free agent market and we'll already have these young guys up with a year or two of experience under their belt? I, I think that's uh, pretty much it. I think 2018 will be very, very interesting. That will be quite a winter. Uh, Bryce Harper uh, has been interested in the Yankees. He wouldn't say that, but as, as his father, a Yankee fan, uh, he's going to demand that kind of a price tag that the Yankees on, and maybe a few other teams can afford him. Obviously, he's not having a great year right now, but uh, we expect he'll uh, gather himself and become, if not the player he was last year, a, a superstar player. So I, I do think that winter is a big one for the Yankees. I do think they will be big players there. Uh, they tried that a couple of years ago uh, with a, a couple levels down type player with the McCanns and uh, Ellsbury, and uh, I think Beltron worked worked out, and I think Tanaka worked out. McCann has not lived up to the contract, uh, and neither has Ellsbury by a long shot. Uh, but uh, the players that could be available in 2018 are Yankee-type players. I think they've always regretted not uh, – I don't know if there's any regret, but they were ready to take Mike Trout in 2009. I think it was uh, a team that was one or two ahead of them uh, was the Angels and ended up getting him. Uh, the Yankees had their eyes on him, and uh, they would love that type of player. Now, uh, their outfield it looks pretty good right now. I do think Judge is a major league player. Uh, it's only been a week. We will see. But uh, Frazier has big talent, big power. Uh, he showed that at the minor league level. He's only 21, acquired from Cleveland. I think that was terrific. Uh, Justice Sheffield, the pitcher they got, is off to a great start as well. So uh, they have a lot of good pieces. I've seen some rankings that suggest they have seven top 100-type prospects, which is uh, tied for the most in baseball, close to the most in baseball. So they, they made a quick turnaround and did a, a terrific job in terms of loading up prospects and uh, looking great for the future. I don't know if that's going to be next year, but maybe in a couple years uh, they should be a very, very good team. And certainly we know they have the financial might uh, to play with anybody, and I, I will be shocked if they don't come up with, if not Harper, uh, Machado, Fernandez, somebody of that ilk that offseason. Yeah, so if anybody was worried about the Yankees having to rebuild, I don't think uh, they're going to have to be worried long. I don't think it'll take, I don't think this rebuild will take very long. So 2018 is obviously the one we're looking for. With the Dodgers and Yasiel Puig in AAA, something that you speculated on, saying that it makes sense, and I agree, would be a team like the Padres. There's a Puig connection in the, the front office, and if there's a team that's going to trade or take a chance on a talent like Puig, why not if you're the Padres? But oh, go yeah, ahead. De definitely, yeah. Some, somebody said um, in your column that they don't think anybody would claim him. I guess why why wouldn't anybody take that chance? Is he that Yeah, big I, mean, of I think a that's risk? a matter of opinion. There are right. some baseball people that are just fed up, and they say, well, well, you'd be crazy to claim him. But you know what? There's one or two in every crowd, and this is a guy extremely talented, and uh, he got that $42 year, million for uh, – uh, was it six or seven years? So he's basically making six or seven million a year. That doesn't seem outrageous. Uh, the reputation of not being able to get along with teammates, I think, really uh, diminishes that reputation and that value. And I think that's the reason that person thought that. Uh, there are others who think that he would get claimed. Uh, we will see. But I do think that at some point, whether it be this now after he clears or if he doesn't, in the winter, the Dodgers probably need to trade him. They need to move on. He needs a change of scenery, a fresh start. And I think San Diego 
is a logical spot. Uh, they are rebuilding. He is still very young. He was picked by or signed uh, or by Logan White, who was uh, a big uh, Dodgers executive at the time, and uh, he played very well while Logan White was with the Dodgers. I don't know if that has to do with it, but uh, Logan White now with the Padres, and I just think that the connection is there. Uh, the the interest would be there from the Padres. I don't. I've heard they haven't had any talks to that effect at this point, but. Uh, to me, that's the logical team. If you're going to pick one out of the other 2019s, that's the team. And he needs to go. He needs. He cannot be on the Dodgers anymore. It's it's been pretty clear even before the Andy Vance like in, uh, uh, interview in which he said that uh, Kershaw had said that he wanted him out of there. You know, uh, I think it's clear that uh, uh, the Dodgers need to move on, and I think they have moved on, even if they don't say that. Yeah, originally I was thinking, why would the Dodgers or how can the Dodgers just get rid of somebody with that much potential and that much talent for nothing? And then I think back at all of the either dead money contracts or players that they've basically given away in the last couple of years to say, we just want them gone. So now that I'm thinking about it again, I actually don't think that it'll take much necessarily to get him or to get him out of the Dodgers that They've shown that if it's the best move, then who cares how much money we have to eat? We just want them out. Yeah, I mean, I think he needs to go. Now, they may not have to eat the whole thing, as they've done with some other uh, guys that they've had. Uh, you know, Guerrero, uh, Olivera, they ate a lot. They got nothing out of that. Uh, I mean, he was part of a, a trade, uh, so they did get some players back, but that was, they took a big hit on that uh, right away. Uh, they have a shortstop, Arab Arena. Uh, they've had some other uh, Cubans that have not worked out. Now, Puig did give them uh, two really good years, and you, you can't say it was a complete disaster, but he needs to move on, and, and they have to know that at this point. So I want to wrap up here, um, going through a couple of just quick hitters of other little tidbits that you had in your notes today uh, that you can find on today's com. Let's start with the Cubs. If Jason Hayward continues to struggle – do you think that they should bench him in the playoffs? Um, I, I think that they will bench him in the playoffs if he continues to struggle. I, there's no reason to play someone who's struggling in the playoffs. They'll play him throughout the regular season and try to get him right to get him going for the playoffs. But the playoffs are really the whole ball of wax for the Cubs at this point. The team hasn't won the World Series, as you well know, Tommy, as a Chicagoan uh, in 108 years. The playoffs is everything for them, and they need to – uh, have him do well for the playoffs. If he's not, he'll be benched, just like almost anybody else would be benched. I, I mean, Mike Trout may not be benched. Alex Rodriguez wasn't completely benched. He was batted eighth by Torrey when he was struggling, and that was over a, a few-day period where he was struggling. Uh, you know, uh, if a guy is not performing at that time, you've got to go with your hot hand. And uh, if Hayward is not hitting in the playoffs, and I think he'll get the first game at least, but if it's that he's still grounding the second all the time, and I think they will find another answer. Now, he does do other things. He's a very good outfielder. He's very good on the bases. You know, he might get a little bit more rope for that, but uh, it doesn't matter what they pay somebody in the playoffs. If they're not performing, they're on the bench. Yeah, I don't think the Cubs will be afraid to bench him by any means. I, know, I do think they value his defense and base running, and I think a lot of it will depend on what the rest of the lineup does, that if they are hitting around him, then – you know, maybe you can afford to play him for his defense-based running. Maybe he saves a run defensively. But if John Lester's pitching and you have David Ross behind the plate and he's not hitting, although he has been this year, then you almost have three automatic outs in Hayward, Ross, and Lester. I don't know that you can afford that. So 
So we'll see there. The Braves, uh, Eric O'Flaherty cleared waivers. Do you think that he lands anywhere? You know, I actually don't. As one executive told me, uh, if you're a lefty reliever and you clear waivers, you really don't have much value. You know, nobody wanted uh, you. He's not making big bucks. I don't think they'll be able to make a trade for him unless he uh, has some great outings in the next few days. Uh, they did they were able to make a deal for Eric Ibar, who had an absolutely terrible first half, and he's played a little bit better lately. Uh, took an injury uh, with Detroit, and they needed a fill-in for a little while, and they worked it out. And uh, uh, Copalella in Atlanta has been able to make a lot of things work in terms of trades. He's made a lot of them. Uh, I think O'Flaherty, they're stuck with him. Joakim Soria, also a name that cleared waivers. Um, is he going to get traded? I don't think so. I think that the uh, Royals uh, don't often trade their players. Uh, they don't uh, shake it up very much. Uh, it certainly has paid off for them. They win two straight World Series. I think at the deadline they considered uh, the free agent guys, Volquez, and uh, Hochevard had gotten hurt at that point, so there really wasn't a lot to consider. Uh, but they ultimately decided, even though they were under 500, let's try to get as many wins as we can. You never know. We are the defending champions. Let's do our best rather than uh, trade and really diminish ourselves uh, for an upgrade later. And I think that was probably the right call on their part, and I think they will continue with that. They've now won a few in a row. Uh, I don't think they'll be in the playoffs, but there are 40 games to go, and I, I just don't think that you can get that much for Soria that would be worth doing that kind of a trade at this point. The emergence of David Dahl in the Colorado Rockies outfield makes their veteran outfielders expendable. We've heard cargo on the trade block or mentioned every trade deadline for the last, it seems like, three or four years. Charlie Blackman, another name. Uh, you've got Gerardo Parra. I guess which one, if you had to say, which one do you think will be moved this offseason, if any? Yeah, well, I was surprised they got Parr in the first place with the construction of their roster. But, you know, Parr is a good all-around player. He plays defense. I'm not sure what you can get for Parr, though. And I, I, we've heard Gonzalez on the trade block forever, and I, I think he's been ready to go. Now, they've played a little better than people expected this year and had a little bit better season, and they have a terrific lineup. But uh, I still think at some point Cargo is going to be traded. Now he does only have a year to go before free agency. But uh, I, I think that uh, with the money savings, with the fact that they're not going to be able to get an extension with Scott Boris uh, as his agent, I think he's the logical one to go. Uh, I think the others who make less, who are more likely to stay longer, uh, and in Parra's case, has a two-year remaining and really has limited trade value based on what he's done for the last calendar year, uh, Cargo is the likely one to be traded. Carlos Gomez. Is there a best fit for him? Uh, you know, at this point, it looks like it could be the Marlins. Uh, obviously, the loss of Stanton, and uh, you know, they're still saying, well, maybe he could maybe make it back. They don't think so, but uh, Gomez uh, makes some sense as a uh, sort of platoon with Ichiro uh, out in right field for the Marlins. And uh, sounds like the Cardinals and the Mets have cooled for whatever reason. Uh, you know, obviously there are teams that could use outfielders. The Angels are one of them, but they're not in contention. So, I, you know, I think the Marlins, who are a team that's been aggressive and is going to maintain that aggression, uh, even considered A-Rod, uh, I think that they're the ones that make the most sense at the moment. 
And finally, before I get your AL MVP pick, I want to know, does Zach Britton or do closers deserve Cy Young votes or MVP votes? Oh, they could get votes. Do, do they deserve the uh, Cy Young or the MVP? I think in a rare case, uh, they could get the Cy Young. Uh, we've seen uh, closers get the Cy Young, and we've seen closers get MVP. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. I would certainly consider it. Uh, under most circumstances, I would favor a starting pitcher over a guy throwing uh, 50 to 70 innings. But in the case of Zach Britton, uh, he's been so, so terrific this year. I think he is a real candidate uh, for the Cy Young. As far as the MVP, uh, there are too many good picks in the American League where I would favor a, a, a closer, uh, even one having the year that Britton's having, uh, to be the MVP. I could put him on the ballot. I'd probably put him in the top ten. But to me, uh, the MVP candidates are probably the top two candidates are Altuve and Mookie Betts, and I would favor Mookie Betts at this point. I mean, you just look at the season he's had. He has been absolutely brilliant in all facets, particularly hitting. And uh, to me, to, as of today, he is the MVP in the American League. Does a player have to make the playoffs for them to be an MVP in your eyes? doesn't have to, but I, I do think it's preferable. Uh, based on the wording of it being MVP, it's not best player, and that, and not only the wording of it, the precedent has been set. Uh, and I think we've gone overboard at times. I mean, there was uh, Lou Gehrig uh, lost out, uh, which was it to Mickey Cochran or somebody like that, who had two home runs, and Lou Gehrig had like 49 home runs. I'm, I'm just estimating, but... Uh, you know, offensively, it wasn't even close. I think it was Cochran, but it was a catcher who was also managing, I think, at the time. So, I mean, it was an unusual circumstance. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that Garrett should have got the MVP. I, I am in that category where I agreed that Mike Trout was probably the best player in all the years that he's played up to this one. But I agreed with the votes that have come in that Trout was the MVP one of those four years. Um, I do think that uh, uh, that making the playoffs, helping your team into the playoffs, or at least in contention, is a factor, not the only factor. Uh, I do think that there was one year where Trout's team had a better record, didn't make the playoffs than, than Cabrera's team, and there was a case to be made there. But I do think that uh, Cabrera was overlooked by some of the stat guys, not all, but some, the fact that he switched positions so easily between first and third <clears throat> did so for the team, and uh, people denigrated him for his mediocre defense. Well, you know what? He really helped the team by uh, playing a, a new position and just doing whatever helped the team. And, you know, if you do that and you win the MVP, I, I don't see why you shouldn't be – I mean, and you win the tri uh, Triple Crown, which is done, you know, uh, once every ten years or so. Uh, it hadn't been done a lot longer than that in this case. Uh, I didn't see any reason why he shouldn't be the MVP. Now, if someone told me it was Trout, I wouldn't say, oh, they're crazy. It was clearly Cabrera. Trout uh, had a, a very good case in all four years, but I ended up agreeing with the voters all four times. I thought he deserved it one time, and I would have gone uh, for somebody else. The other three and put him second. But uh, I, I don't disqualify based on uh, playing for an also-ran. Uh, I, I don't think that's fair either. We'll save National League for next time, but I think as of today, when we record this on Thursday, Chris Bryant with two home runs and a triple away from the cycle, five for five, I think he's at the top of the board. I would agree. Uh, I think not only for the offense, 
also play a great third and a great right and a great left and a great wherever else they want to put him. Uh, to me, he's the MVP. Uh, you know, I don't think it's over yet. Uh, Murphy and, and, and Rizzo are still in the race. Uh, you know, obviously there have been other good performances. Corey Seager has been excellent for the Dodgers. But uh, to me, I, I think Brian is, at least for me, the clear MVP at this moment. You can check out all of John's stuff at twodaysknuckleball.com. Every Thursday, his inside baseball notes come out. It's the perfect lunchtime reading, except it might take you a while, so don't get fired. Um, (laughs) But we will be here every Thursday to talk about some of that stuff. Uh, You can follow him. You probably already do on Twitter at John Heyman. I am Tommy Stokey with fanragsports.com, todaysknuckleball.com. Hopefully we have something for everyone.